morning everybody. It is Tuesday, 19th of October, and let me first of all acknowledge an email from Derek. Subject title, Disgruntled Longtime Member. And Derek says, you're losing me, Marcus. Your recent changes have moved from a succinct strategy portfolio changes piece to a situation which takes far too long to navigate. Good point, Derek. I have developed this Marcus Today section, which I think is a great development, but the bits I write are not highlighted and my strategy pieces, there haven't actually been, there hasn't been the necessity for a daily strategy piece. I think that was part of the reason for developing this, but I will put a strategy comment in the Marcus Today section in its own block when necessary, not every day. I think that was the point as well. So Derek, I will start to pick those out and let me have a little think about how I highlight the ideas or de-emphasize the newsy bits in that section. I'll come up with something, but I get it. All the good bits are hiding in the routine bits. We don't want that. I'll sort it out. Along those lines, as I wrote in the weekend newsletter and have mentioned a few times here, we will be taking the SMA portfolios out of the newsletter on November the 1st, and I'll be replacing them with long-term growth and income portfolios. And I'm hoping to have an ideas portfolio as well. Things which I can't do if the portfolios are reflecting what the SMAs are doing. I think for the benefit of newsletter members as opposed to SMA investors, we need to separate the two. We'll move the SMAs, we've already built the website, but we'll move the SMAs to their own separate website. And that'll leave us free in the newsletter to do what we like which will include, which I can't do at the moment because of the SMAs, which are professionally run. There's almost 100 million there. It changes the nature of how you can invest. We have compliance. We have an investment committee. We have third-party oversight. This is not the stuff of a daily newsletter. We want to be more active, more aggressive. We want ideas for members. And if need be, we want to be more short-term, ideas-driven, as befits a daily newsletter. And we've all agreed that the SMA background to our portfolios is now too long term that as as the money increases as we get up to 100 million the horizon or the eye line has to lift as well to the horizon and it has to be said apart from our moment of genius in the pandemic where we went to 100% cash at exactly the right time and then went 100% invested again every other time we've cashed out has caused underperformance in a rampant bull market and our focus has clearly been too short term rather than long term so the SMAs are developing a more professional slower moving process driven system backed approach and as I say this is not the stuff of daily ideas in a daily newsletter I'll still retain two core portfolios a growth portfolio although it will be more aggressive a growth portfolio and an income portfolio and we'll still be active with our cash versus equity strategy calls in the newsletter portfolios which is stuff we can't aggressively do in the SMAs the way we could do when we were running 10 20 million so So look out for those new portfolios and look out for our ideas portfolio, which will allow us to play out ideas on a variety of timeframes, not just in the long term. And I think that's what newsletter members want. So we are, as I say, going to start our own portfolios, which are not hemmed in by the processes and the structures and the oversight and the committee behind the SMAs. We have to do more than say, in the newsletter, we have to do more than say, buy Macquarie and hold it forever, which is actually probably quite a good idea. 
but it wouldn't be much of a newsletter if all we had was 20 stock recommendations and hold them forever. So those changes are coming. I'm already building the portfolios. They are somewhat similar, the core portfolios, but the growth portfolio will be more aggressive and be allowed to include smaller stocks, which would run us into liquidity problems in the SMA. So looking forward to that. November the 1st is the new beginning. And then in this daily podcast, I will talk to the portfolios much in the same way as Henry talks to the small cap portfolio and writes to the small cap portfolio. I will start to write to the portfolios rather than just chatting about the market, which is what we've been doing for the last few weeks, which is obviously not suited. Derek, and I can tell you if one member thinks it, there are a hundred or more. Sorry, if one member says it, there are a hundred or more that think it. So obviously a number of you are finding it difficult to pull out the best bits and relevant stock ideas. I will sort that out. And as I say, from November the 1st, we might even be able to do it earlier. But from November the 1st, we will disassociate the SMAs from the newsletter content. And we will write about re-engineered income and growth portfolios. And I will start a new ideas portfolio. Right. All that waffle and excuses aside, back to today. Those Chinese GDP numbers yesterday, which didn't impress anybody. Third quarter GDP up 4.9%. The market had expected something with a five in the front. Iron ore price down 1% overnight. We've got BHP down 1.8%. Rio down 3.1% today. BHP had production numbers. Rio had production numbers last week and they weren't terribly good. There was a bit of a production guidance downgrade. BHP retained guidance, but it hasn't impressed anybody. So iron ore holding us back today. The futures this morning were up 20, were up 18 the U.S. results season is carrying on this week. Not too many major results. Netflix, I think Tesla as well, Johnson & Johnson, a few others. In commodities, one of the themes at the moment, if you're holding Whitehaven Coal or New Hope Corporation or Sol Patterson, which has a big holding in NHC, New Hope. If you're in any of those, there are signs that the coal price is coming off the top. Have a look at the strategy piece today. In fact, there's signs that the whole energy space might be coming off the top but particularly coal. There are all sorts of articles about the Chinese managing to sort out their supply problems, getting 150 mines to up production. Coal being shipped around has boomed. It may well be you've seen the best on coal. Coal price has gone from $40 a tonne to almost $300 a tonne back to $235 at the moment. So coal peaking is a theme. If you don't hold those stocks, it doesn't really matter. But also where coal goes, you might might find the whole energy complex goes at some point. Not suggesting it, but like the iron ore price, which was just cruising endlessly higher at some point, it has to come to an end. If you are loaded up on energy stocks, especially energy trades, just keep an eye out for your individual stocks topping out. This isn't going to last forever. And clearly some signs, especially if GDP numbers are coming in less than expected, some signs that the best may be over for the energy sector. Short term stuff. Few bits going on today. RBA minutes. I haven't actually seen those. I doubt they would move the needle much, but expected to address the housing market, the heat in the housing market, and the recent APRA changes to try and curb credit lending. So it may not read well for the housing market. We're in AGM season. Cochlear's up a bit on theirs. 
IDP education up 1% on theirs. Strong signs of recovery, they say. Tabcorp down 1.7% on theirs. They are talking about sports betting being hit by lockdowns. How much sports betting advertising do we have to listen to? Shocking. BAPCOR, one of the pandemic beneficiaries, up 2.3% on their AGM. Again, a lockdown-affected stock. Now a travel trade as people buy bits to drive around Australia. Australia. Stockland up 1% on their AGM. We're also in the third quarter production numbers reporting season. As I say, BHP down 1.7% today. Northern Star up 0.7%. All very boring other stuff. There is a, or the first cryptocurrency ETF starts trading on New York Stock Exchange tonight. The code is B-I-T-O. It is a ProShares Bitcoin strategy ETF, it's called. And what this will allow, it, all it, it doesn't invest in Bitcoin. It doesn't buy Bitcoin, put it that way. It is providing an exposure to the Bitcoin price through Bitcoin futures traded on the Chicago Board of Exchange. So it's a futures-based Bitcoin ETF. The point of an ETF it allows people with normal brokerage accounts to trade an exposure to Bitcoin without having to trade futures and without having to open an account with a cryptocurrency provider and creating a Bitcoin wallet in an unregulated market where depending on which crypto provider you use, prices can be 5% apart from each other. So this is the first mainstream endorsement for cryptocurrency described by ProShares as a milestone for the industry. I guarantee it won't be the last ETF over cryptocurrencies. This one specifically Bitcoin note. But much in the same way as the gold ETF back in, was it 2003? and the Sprott Physical Uranium ETF this year, when ETFs go buying the underlying commodity or property or security that the ETF is there to represent, by definition, as it did with the gold ETF and as it did with the Sprott Physical Uranium ETF, the buying by the ETF drives the underlying price, especially in something like uranium, which has very little in the way of a liquidity in its market. If an ETF piles in to represent the interests of speculators, it disrupts the market to the positive, And you'll almost certainly find this ETF is only $20 million at the moment. But if people take to it, as is likely, then they'll have to buy Bitcoin futures. It'll drive buying in the underlying Bitcoin futures prices, driving prices, driving interest. It's almost self-fulfilling anyway. Probably why the Bitcoin price is close to all-time highs again. So watch how that trades overnight. It'll make a regular cryptocurrency watch point every morning. What else have we got? Goldman Sachs predicting house prices will peak late next year. 22% surge this year and then only a 5% gain in 2022. Flat in 2023, they reckon. And that sort of bears out. You've got Josh Frydenberg and APRA and the RBA all getting concerned about the housing market. Don't think regulation doesn't matter. It absolutely kills the bank's ability to lend if they get involved. They seem 
keen to, and I can tell you as you probably can with your own personal experience of your own personal property market, that the market's getting flooded with sellers who perceive the top of the property market as APRA starts to make noises, as interest rates look like they're going to creep up. I'm no expert, but housing related stocks obviously booming at the moment. No reason to sell just because it peaks. The next sets of results should be really good but you get the idea. If you were thinking about selling, as people come out of lockdown, this is probably a fairly good time to ring your estate agent and list. Other stuff, Aristocrat Leisure, this is something Chris wrote up the other day. They do hold it in the Marcus today. Growth SMA, chart in the strategy piece today. Long-term uptrend, dropped a little bit recently, made a big acquisition of Playtech yesterday. Morgan's Macquarie Credit Suisse have recommendations this morning. Add, outperform, and outperform. Target price is 15%, 15%, and 10% above the current share price. All very positive. That looks like the go. And on the technical scans today, all the iron ore stocks, despite today's performance, all the iron ore stocks turning up as a buy at the moment. They look like they've bottomed. You wouldn't really call them the barking dogs, but they have performed terribly short term. The Evergrande concerns seem to be dissipating. And as I've written before, I think the Evergrande outlook is somewhat tied to commodity prices and therefore BHP and Rio. Put it this way, if the Evergrande situation disappeared completely, you would probably see the iron ore price bottom. In the short term, it has. In the short term, so is BHP, Rio, Fortescue. There's a Bloomberg headline everyone has covered today saying, People's Bank of China confident Evergrande spillover can be contained. Evergrande and its minion listings are still suspended, waiting for some development there. Hang Seng seems to be trolling along quite nicely though, up 2.9% in a week. It is the Evergrande or the Chinese property development sector and their debt issues still remain as one of the few outstanding issues that could blow up in a blink and upset the market. But for now, things seem quite calm. Lastly, as I wrote in the weekend newsletter, the S&P 500 dropped 5.87% in September, causing us to worry about a break of the long-term uptrend, especially if Evergrande blew up, but it's all gone away. S&P 500 has now bounced 4.9% from the recent low in a couple of weeks. And the sell-off in September is now looking like a blip rather than a big top. So strategy call has to be for now that the bull market remains. It didn't crack. Investors can relax again. Nothing obviously precipitous going on. It's all about making money rather than fearing a correction for now. Right, that's about it. Derek, I will sort out your concerns. And for any other member concerned that they can't pick the best ideas out of the Marcus Today section, I will start to fix that. I'll have to have a think about how to do that. Dow futures as I leave you down 55. Our market up 15. Really very quiet. Rio, the worst of the majors, down 3.1. BHP down 1.9. Tech stocks strong. Banks up. That's about it. You have a fabulous day and I will speak to you tomorrow. Thank you.